This time on Watchers of Tomorrow, meet the real microbrain. Welcome to Watchers of Tomorrow, the sci-fi review and critique show by ugly bags of mostly water for ugly bags of mostly water. My name is Gep, and I'm joined as always by a friend and co-host, Dr. Izex. Hi! And this week, uh, I think that meme's the only thing anyone actually remembers from this episode. <laughs> uh, kinda, yeah. <laughs> and it's not much of a meme either, so... Eh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is too bad. It's it's This is one of the better ones of the first season. Mm-hmm. They they explore some themes. They talk about some interesting stuff. They they have a moral dilemma. You know, all kinds of there's all kinds of stuff. Yeah, and we kind of uh, have a, a glimpse at sort of the operating uh, habits of folks outside of Starfleet, uh, as well as how the Federation kind of operates in terms of you know planetary sciences and terraforming and things like that. And so there's there's good stuff here, but you know it's. Just kind of there, I suppose, too. So this is the episode called Home Soil. It's the terraforming one with the little sentient doodahs and lasers. Um, I am noticing I haven't paid that much attention the last time I watched through Next Gen, but thinking ahead to like all the episodes that we're going to talk about and then, you know, trying to think of things to talk about as we watch through now. I hadn't noticed how many episodes just just sort of have such similar themes when you go through mm-hmm. like this is the episode where they come to the colony and find malfunctioning equipment that they later discover is a sentient life form and then they have to deal with that and that's different from the other one where they go to a planet with malfunctioning equipment that they discover is a sentient life form that they then have to figure out how to deal with which is you know slightly different than the uh they go to a planet, uh, but it's a mining colony, not a colony, uh, and they have to deal with malfunctioning uh, mining because people are disappearing. Yeah. <laughs> because there's a, a local sentient life form. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so there, there's there's some rhyming, I guess, you know, as Lucas says, it rhymes. You know, maybe if we wanted to break rhyme a little bit more often, things might be better overall in terms of, you know, creative reach and uh, interesting ideas and concepts stories and all that mm-hmm i should have having perfect rhymes just some of those cool slanted rhymes like yeah. some of our modern musicals yeah. yeah if you want to like keep the the meter that's fine you know but the rhyming it needs you need to break it up more guys so uh we this is one of those weird ones that was written by three people i'm so unfamiliar with how television writing works <laughs> so many of these have like three or four writing credits which makes sense it's going in changing stuff collaborating etc but you know well, uh, also we're get, we got a lot of repeat customers in this era of star trek because we actually have a writer's room instead of bespoke writers for every episode like we used to get in the 60s indeed yeah uh, so uh, i guess sometimes there is uh, warnings to be had when a lot of writers are attached to a, a particular episode because they might not all be writing the same episode even though they are technically doing so um but and so that can lead to some really kind of muddled ideas or you know, themes that are kind of thrown off. Other times things kind of work and something kind of amazing comes out of it. So mm-hmm. it is a thing. If you notice it, I guess it's a reason to be cautious, but you might get lucky. So this episode we have writing credits for Carl Gers, who uh, wrote and directed a lot of earlier shows and a lot of cartoons uh he mm-hmm. did stuff for flash gordon he wrote on the new adventures of zorro something called defender of earth which also in my notes it looks like that's one show name the way i've written it so it's the new adventures of zorro defender of earth which <laughs> i really now want to see future zorro someone should work on that yeah that sounds awesome actually yeah zorro with an energy whip and maybe like a lightsaber style thing like, yeah someone do that defending uh, new new california <laughs> from all the uh the you know the the hostile entities occasional uh you know people from earth that don't know what they're doing and you know just general uh you know uh, baddies of various sorts yeah it could be like brave star mm-hmm. <laughs> except zorro instead <laughs> yeah. 
He also wrote for the New Adventures of Winnie the Pooh. There's a lot of you know new adventures of in this uh, this guy's writing credits, and uh, Tailspin, which is the one of these Disney shows that never gets enough love. Indeed. Goof Troop and Quack Pack. I did, have not seen Quack Pack. I've never seen it. I've heard of it. I guess one of his uh, more recent ones is a uh, Care Bears Unlock the Magic. <laughs> Care Bears Unleashed. <laughs> just kind of a funny title and you kind of you know look at it (laughs) (laughs) this reminds me because people have been like when we're recording this people are talking about that uh that new winnie the pooh horror movie Mm -hmm. because it just got me thinking about that (laughs) (laughs) might be a bit longer before care bears are in the public domain uh, for uh the horror version uh spinoff oh he also uh wrote for dungeons and dragons which one (laughs) the the uh the animated show the early 80s Ah, the cartoon. I missed yes. that. <laughs> never seen that. I've seen everyone reference it. I've never actually seen the show itself. It's pretty goofy. Uh, I've not seen too many episodes, and it's been over a decade since I've seen them. But yeah, it's it's kind of uh, quirky. Yeah. See, because I am a because I collect um, Legend of Zelda stuff. I have and have watched through the entire Legend of Zelda cartoon, <laughs> and that kind of maxed me out for that style of cartoon show for a very long time <laughs> understandably oh also writing we have ralph sanchez who's also known for a lot of cartoons like dink the dinosaur uh, not to be uh <laughs> confused with young godzilla i think it was <laughs> mm-hmm. he also worked on alvin and the chipmunks uh i'm unclear which one because he's been like a dozen of those as shows indeed uh, and bonkers the one, the one in the 90s <laughs> oh yeah bonkers that was pretty good actually and finally, Robert Savroff, who wrote The Immunity Syndrome for the original series. Oh, uh, yeah. We, we don't have a giant uh, amoeba this time, but we have a very small person, our brain. Yep. And mm-hmm. also created the series Then Came Branson. Like Missouri? I guess. I don't know. I just <laughs> thought it was a funny name. It's the only reason I wrote it down. Apparently only did uh, one uh, writing uh, for that uh, particular uh, series, but, uh, you know, you can mm. still create something and you know, only yeah. do one episode yourself. It's the sequel for Waiting for Godot. <laughs> <laughs> We're waiting for Godot. Then came Branson. <laughs> and everything is bad. Now, yeah, uh, we like him a lot better than Godot. <laughs> now, now uh, Robert uh, uh, Sabaroff uh, also wrote another episode of Star Trek The Next Generation, which is oddly enough the next episode. Mm. So I guess we'll be uh, meeting more of him then. And the next episode is bad. We're not getting to it for a bit, which we'll explain at the end. But, you know, yes. the next episode's not good. It's not great. It's fine. It's not great. Hint, Wesley takes a test. All right, we got a few guest stars. We have more guest stars than normal this week because we go somewhere. It's not a ship episode. It's a planet episode. Walter Gotell plays Kurt Mandel. The, uh, he is a German-born actor who played German and Russian villains in various movies. Um, Indeed. I'm pretty well known for playing the head of the KGB in like six different James Bond movies. Uh, you know, General Gogol uh, and like the spy who loved me uh, and things like that. So, yeah, he's, uh, yeah, so, yeah, he's so, around. Yeah, and, and perhaps like, you know, I guess, you know, would be well known as that sort of character here. So mm-hmm. perhaps someone tuning in is like, hmm, maybe I shouldn't trust this guy. Yeah, I shouldn't trust this angry curmudgeonly man. I remember him from Octopussy. Uh, Elizabeth Lindsay is playing Louisa Kim. She is a former Miss Hawaii. Uh, Soon after competing in Miss America, she got her TV debut on Fantasy Island. Like, I guess, literally everyone who acted in the 80s did. (laughs) Seems like it's just a prerequisite. You want to be an actor. You go on Fantasy Island. Here's your SAG card. (laughs) <laughs> pretty much <laughs> i guess fantasy island is like we just need actors anyone please come we'll, we'll make you an actor and you'll do other things in time please <laughs> you, you're funny left she also uh uh played a different role uh in the, the 90s fantasy island as well i've never watched either of those so i wonder how much crossover there is she had a reoccurring role on tales of the golden monkey i keep confusing with legends of the hidden temple thingy giant, giant uh, talking head old mac He's going to tell you how to go through the labyrinth, and yeah, maybe and those, you'll have good luck. <laughs> and those dang children who could not figure out how to put together a three-piece puzzle. Well, I understand you're under stress, but come on. Yes. <laughs> and the, the big piece with the square goes to the square hole. 
Wait, I think I've solved a gap one. For, uh, memes. Uh, th anyway. Uh, <laughs> uh, she was also on guest roles on Charlie's Angels, Magnum P.I., contemporary TV shows, that kind of thing. China Beach, uh, the birds of paradise. Then Gerard Hendergast plays Bjorn Benson. Uh, he was on a lot of other 80s TV shows, TJ Hooker, Trapped, John M.D., Matlock, etc., etc., etc. Also in something called Generations, but not Star Trek Generations. Then Mario, Mario Recuzzo. I may or may not leave this in because I'm trying to learn Italian and I'm pronouncing it bad and my partner's going to make fun of me later. Don't worry, we all get made fun of for our pronunciations. And that's how we hopefully learn. So he plays Arthur... Malcon, we never hear these people's last names, so yes. <laughs> Arthur. <laughs> he did guest spots on shows like The Monkees, which I love that show, Wonder Woman, uh, BJ and the Bear, such a <laughs> weird name, and Murder She Wrote. So these are more than that more people have heard of, except for BJ and the Bear. So. Yes, <laughs> where he played a high-ranking suit. <laughs> A high-ranking suit. I wonder, so is it a real bear, or is this like an early gay show? That's a good question. Maybe we have to tune in. Because with BJ and the bear, I could see this going either direction. <laughs> well, maybe there's a bear, but it's also a bear. Also, uh, I, I just wanted to say this, but uh, he played uh, a um, a fellow in, uh, what was it, uh, uh, Nero Wolf. He played Andy Davis, medical examiner. I've never heard of Nero Wolf. Neither have I. Okay, then. Okay, let's let's jump in. Um, we're probably going to spend a lot of time doing what everyone does, is comparing this to the original series, but we may as well get a start, you know. That's roll. The Enterprise has been tasked with checking on a team of terraformers. Communications have been erratic, so they went to make sure that the team is still fine because they're in a remote part of the galaxy, which... Shouldn't every part of the galaxy be a remote part of the galaxy? <laughs> Kind of, yeah. Um, though, uh, I, I guess, you know, if you were off in like a, a globular cluster, that'd be even more remote, but still. After several attempts to elicit communication, they get a response from Director Mandel, the head of the terraforming team. He's gruff. Like, he's just the personification of gruff. What are you dang kids doing here in your spaceship and your Federation and your Starfleet? Uh, get off my planet's lawn! Yeah, what are you doing on what's going to eventually in a hundred years' time be my lawn? Troy can sense that the guy is alarmed, and the idea of anyone coming to visit the station sends him into a panic. Uh, Picard insists that they have an away team visit, so Riker, Troy, Yar, LaForge, and Data beam down to the terraforming control room. Here we are introed to the rest of the team. We have Louisa, Malcon, Mel... Malin Khan's, why are these names? Just why? And Benson. <laughs> Benson! Uh, Benson's, Benson's the engineer and gets all geeky about seeing an android. This uh, this doesn't happen as often in other seasons. Everyone's just used to it, I guess, by then. Yeah, it's like, uh, I guess uh, the word's gotten around. Yeah, like, oh yeah, the Federation Starfleet uh, flagship there has a, uh, you know, an android on it. So don't, mm -hmm. like, make it weird for him, please. <laughs> they get the tourist version of terraforming. Uh, they're bringing water and life to the planet. This is phase two. Uh, phase one was finding the planet. Now they're on the phase where they do water and stuff. Yes, uh, which I guess is uh, kind of similar to how they did the uh, the Genesis uh, uh, experiment stuff, where you know, sure their phases were different, but you know, step one for the actual planet stuff was find the planet and make sure it has certain criteria and that's actually more difficult than they you know realized yeah finding a completely lifeless planet which is it's interesting that especially in like so genesis came out a bit before this um you know all these the, it's weird to remember because they have such radically different filming styles but you know the the movies and next generation were not that far apart indeed but uh, Genesis did come out before this, so both of them were in the 80s, um, which is really interesting because the the general conception that we have now about possible extraterrestrial life, um, I guess it was starting to come into prevalence then, but we now have this idea that there is almost certainly some sort of microscopic life, like some sort of protozoa or amoebas or something or other like this stuff is probably everywhere yeah I can't. it's going to be you know, 
pretty mm -hmm. unlikely that we find some place that is completely lifeless. Just it's not going to have complicated multicellular life like we are expecting. Yeah, it turns out that uh, building basic or, uh, organic chemicals in space is actually pretty common, and you just need to deposit on a planet, give it some you know right to environments. And there you go. You got something that is effectively alive, even though it might be quite different than we would kind of, you know, you know, our, 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 even our uh, microbial everyday experiences here. So it's interesting, given that, that they keep talking about through various eras of Star Trek, how essentially impossible it is to find a completely lifeless planet. Because I'm not sure when it's started becoming a prevalent theory, but I seem to remember people talking about it more and more in like the early 2000s. Yeah, I guess I've been, had my uh, you know ears perked for a you know the various astronomy developments uh, over time, and you know that's sort of one of those things that was kind of coming to be more well known when I was starting college and things like that, as far as you know ideas and knowledge about the universe. So they found this completely lifeless planet. They've been prepping it for things. And now they're about to start pumping water out from beneath the surface onto the planet so that they can have standing water, which is the first thing you'll need for, you know, plants and other junk. Mm -hmm. uh, this planet has an incredibly salty layer of water that runs almost a, completely around the planet. It's a weird geological formation, which personally I would find it kind of a shame to destroy given how unusual it is as a planet yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. like this, this is very unusual it has this you know these this, this quality that is always at this depth throughout the entire planet why that's like maybe something to investigate and yeah it'll delay your uh terraforming efforts but you know to understand this process will not only you know, help increase our knowledge about geology and things like that but might give you insights on how to tell terraform this planet more effectively because of this you know there's some uh mechanism in the environment that actively generates this labor this might run up against your terraforming efforts and maybe undo them at some point uh you know if it's you know sort of not addressed also the water is super salty so they have to filter it first and they have to be really, really precise in their drilling because it's in such a thin band through the planet's surface, they could overshoot it really easily or undershoot it really easily. But there's been a lot of random power fluctuations that have been making the drilling difficult. Keep missing, guys. Stop it. <laughs> so before they can explain why things are going wrong, Mandel shows up. He um, intentionally interrupts everyone apologizes for being rude before then says i've been isolated for a long time you see but these three yahoos he sends uh malachan away to do engineering stuff with the laser because they're on an extremely tight 30-year schedule yes so you know go and do this thing right right now there's no there's no time man get get out we, of this room don't talk to starfleet people seconds we can't lose seconds on our 30-year time scale. Uh, if there was maybe some indications like, you know, if we don't finish this drilling by a certain point in time, you know, the there will be some process that will sort of undo all our work or it could release toxins to the atmosphere or something like that. That might make a little more sense here. But also him being kind of like this, in retrospect, does kind of make sense that he's kind of being mm. all pushy when it doesn't really make any sense. But anyway. So Mandel starts to explain more of their terraforming schedule, planning process. They have a flow chart, you know, geeky shit. Mm -hmm. uh, then Troy senses that Manicon is in danger. I'm going to pronounce his name differently every time. He's about to die. It's fine. It doesn't matter. He's, he's gone <laughs> after this point in the story. <laughs> they arrive at a large door that's been sealed shut, and they can hear blasts and... Malcon yelling for help on the other side. They can't get it open until the yelling stops, the doors open, and they just see a smoldering corpse. Well, um, that's not good. Uh, the uh, yeah. Apparently the laser in here decided to freak out and kill people. Maybe yeah, we they should... shut off the power. Yeah, maybe we shouldn't go so... in there without some precautions. <laughs> shut off the power for safety. They beam Malacon to sickbay. He looks pretty dead, but I guess he's not yet. Data looks into the laser and can't figure out why it did this because it doesn't seem to be malfunctioning. Everything's fine. It was deliberately targeted, in fact. Hmm. Almost like it's under control by some force or entity or rogue computer program. 
Or maybe it's just possessed by ghosts. The part of his investigation data has the power turned back on so that he can watch the drilling program in action because there seems to be nothing wrong with it. And it begins firing. It's doing its normal thing, all well and good, until it focuses on the back of Data's neck. Yeah, thankfully, uh, Data has spider senses, so, you know, yeah. it's going to be okay. He does his android <laughs> dodgy thing because he's not going to get hit by something as slow as a laser. <laughs> You see, uh, Data's actually a Z-Fighter, so he can outrun lasers, so it's good. So Jordy tries to open the door, but can't. Everyone's in a panic until the laser sounds stop, and the door opens to a smoke-filled room where Data's standing with the destroyed laser drill. Well, it seems that Data's okay. He's uh, managed to uh, defeat the laser, now he can go fight Raditz. So there's one death and one attack. So Picard has everyone brought up to the ship until they can figure out what's going on here because it's kind of concerning. You know, was this an accident? Maybe murder? Uh, Data speculates that the drill was too targeted for it to be a random malfunction. It must have been programmed. But it was programmed with a rudimentary artificial intelligence because it was able to anticipate his tactics and try to work around them. And right now... The only ones who could have programmed the laser are the three surviving terraformers. Yeah, or Melancon himself, but he was just really bad at it. But he got shot. That's a yeah. heck of an alibi. <laughs> well, sometimes people try to, you know, do something horrible and it just blows up in their face. So, you know. <laughs> so now the station's been powered down completely. They send Data and Geordi back to find clues as to what's happening. And now that the station is dark, Data can see that the holes they were drilling have some random blinky lights in them. Huh. Is there like an indicator signal at the bottom of these wells here for some reason, guys? Or, or is there something else going on? Well, with Geordi's visor, he can see that these lights actually are unusually complex, almost comparable to music. Musical light show. Wait, is this a laser light show? Are we going to hear some Pink Floyd? Maybe. Cool. That could be fun. You know, I haven't seen people do it the other way with these um, data visualization things. We keep ge getting all of these kind of grading from a scientific standpoint things of this is what a black hole sounds like when like you've interpolated radioactive data, like you've, you've taken radiation and like interpolated radiation into a audible sound spectrum and gone like this is what a black hole sounds like. Yeah, just frequency shift to the, uh, the very tenuous uh, sound waves in the uh, plasma you're observing. And yeah, technically you can hear it. But, you know, there's a lot of pr processing that goes to it first. Mm -hmm. But one thing that I haven't seen anyone do is couldn't you, in theory, take a sound wave and just scale it up in frequency until you hit light wave consist until you hit like light wave and then use that to make a color spectrum conceivably yeah i haven't seen anyone do that i wonder what that would look like let's do that then you just all you'd need is for your light waves to be mathematically you know as far apart as musical notes are and there you, there you go there you are. Yeah. <laughs> But, you know, also, Jordy sees frequencies outside uh, the uh, the human range of vision, so... So, maybe, yeah, that could be a thing. <laughs> so, you know, he's um, getting getting the full show where we as, you know, symbol uh, people with, you know, TVs, CRTs in the 80s and things like that, we're not so lucky. Yeah, this part of the show is way in the infrared. You won't be able to hear it, but it's about to get warm. All right, so these complex lights could actually indicate a life form because they are more complex than a natural, randomly occurring thing should be. Oh, I guess, uh, you know, Data does love looking for life forms, and he was successful here, so uh, congrats. So they bring the lights back to the ship. They've got one of them in a bell jar, um, and they have a pretty good point here. If We don't actually have any way to test whether something is a life form. There's, there's no good way to define it. So how do we know if this thing is alive? According to Sesame Street, it has to breathe and eat and uh, do stuff that's not a shoe or a brick. That's something I remember from my childhood. <laughs> All right, so if it's a shoe, we could put it on our feet, right? Can we do that here? No. If it's a brick, we can build a house with it. I think the jury's still out on that one. Yeah, you get all the, but then you have those catacombs where you have them made of bones. So. Oh, yeah. Are they bricks? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so people can be bricks. Huh. I'm suddenly reminded of Captain S. Ness. But anyway, that's a whole tangent. <laughs> <laughs>
So the light starts humming, and when the crew steps away, it stops in response to them. Like, mm. you know. And uh, for some reason, they ask the computer, analyze, the computer's analyzing the light thing. They go, computer, is this alive? And the computer's, yeah, yeah, yeah. probably. Oh. Well, I guess that solves that. Um, so it's alive. Oh, yeah, right. great. I'm yeah. glad the computer knows this thing that we just said no one knows. That's, that's good. <laughs> what criteria is the computer using? Well, maybe the computer's like anything that is not me that talks to me. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> So Mandel is not convinced because the best experts in the Federation verified that the planet was lifeless. He doesn't believe that they could have missed it, even in an unusual organic life, inorganic life form, because they verified it for him. They sent out Federation survey teams, spent years looking for these things. He is offended by the very idea that he might destroy a life form, any life form, and runs out of the room. I think he might be in denial about something or... You know, being shifty. Yeah, probably. Yeah. I know you, General Gogol. Back in sickbay, the possible life form has changed. Its energy is weird. It's starting to intensify, and there's lots of flashing. Then there's two of them. Oh, my. It's it's spawning. Uh, and, yeah, that one clenches yeah. it, because the one thing that we know mm -hmm. only life forms do is procreate. Yeah, sometimes it takes a very long time, and uh, sometimes it just spawns stuff out of nothing, apparently. Mm -hmm. They evacuate the lab, as you do, and uh, something... Like, oh no, baby! <laughs> and something starts patching into the translation circuitry. Oh, uh, maybe we should listen to it. So now I've confirmed they're dealing with some sort of life form, but is it an intelligent life form that's trying to communicate with them? Or is it j just a space dog? And just making weird noises at us. You know, interacting in a haphazard fashion. It's discovered the uh, translation circuits, and now it's just going to gnaw on them for a while. Yeah. Which is also an interesting one where they go, is it intelligent? Is it trying to communicate with us? I've seen plenty of animals that have tried to communicate with me. I've seen many that have succeeded in communicating mm -hmm. with me. Yeah, I uh, saw a video the other day of, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, here's my cat, and the cat's meowing at me, and are you leading me to the bedroom to take a nap? Okay. <laughs> like okay now we're on the bed now and you flop over and i guess i'll just sit here <laughs> mm -hmm. it's like you know your dog can tell you when they're hungry like we mm -hmm. we have ways of communicating i'm not yeah. saying that means that all life forms are sentient or sapient we don't have a good definition for any of these things but it's interesting to me that they get so on this it's intelligent we know it's intelligent because it's trying to communicate it's like your cat tries to communicate yes. with you your gerbil <laughs> tries to communicate with you <laughs> yeah just you know the communication's not that interesting really you know yeah it's important to think if they're hungry but still it's not you're not having a complex conversation about the uh, current uh, crisis in wherever uh, land here so so now that they know more what they're dealing with they can interrogate the terraformers again because now they have more precise questions. And Mandel is still evading questions. It's like they uh, knew about random energy patterns, apparently, but not life forms. Uh, Benson finally can't take it anymore. And he's like, yeah, we got there and there were lights. We thought it was a random natural phenomenon, random lights in the sand. And then they started to move, and we're like, well, that's interesting. Then they started flashing patterns and geometric shapes and prime numbers. It's like, oh, that's weird. <laughs> you know, you guys maybe should have taken that as a hint to maybe go, whoa, there's something really weird going on here, and maybe we should investigate this as opposed to, you know, just foraging forward because, you know, this seems like it might be horrifically important if you are, mm. you know doing something that might you know kill something here whoops well, i like it but the planet was confirmed lifeless we weren't looking for something that was trying to communicate with us <laughs> so we just stuck our fingers in our ears closed our eyes and hummed as loud as possible as we did our work so on the bridge Worf and Geordi are analyzing the organism uh some of the components are things i'm gonna butcher gallium arsenide which emits light and cadmium selenide sulfate, which char creates a charge when it is exposed to light. Hmm. This is important for later. Oh, so it might be photosynthetic. Neat. But also, uh, it could photosynthesize, but it can also bioilluminate. So that's why it's flashing at us. Yeah. Or would it still be bio? Maybe. Geoilluminate? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Geologically illuminated. <laughs> so they start calling the organism a microbrain for some reason. Well, it seems to have a, a complex uh, network of communication bits in it. It's poking at us communication-wise. So even if it's not you know self-aware, it seems to be at least trying to think. So microbrain is kind of a fitting thing. But, it's just you know. one of the dumbest names. <laughs> but, you know, I think they could probably do better, yeah. <laughs> so it breaks out of the sickbay quarantine. has a lot of little flashy lights now. It just um, keeps spotting. It actually really reminds me of if you've been on the Pirates of the Caribbean ride at Disneyland. Like the, I don't know if they've changed it, but especially the old one. The first area where you're going through, like, the... Uh, louisiana swamp and they have all the little fake fireflies it's been ages since i've been there so anyway they theorize that each individual piece of it operates sort of like a brain cell or computer component so every time it creates another one it becomes smarter Ooh, gonna be uh mildly intelligent soon hmm and now this one has like five brain cells which is way more than most of our two brain cells to rub together you know yeah (laughs) Uh, well, I, I guess that does have some implications for other episodes because Q several times calls Worf microbrain. So, you know, if this microbrain here is way more intelligent than the rest of us already, that's actually not an insult. It's like, like Worf, you're actually very smart here, but I'm going to say it in a condescending way. Uh, so, you know. Gee, Worf, you're as smart as the microbrains. <laughs> Just smarter than the rest of these fools. <laughs> so Microbrain becomes large enough to access the Universal Translator. It addresses the crew as ugly bags of mostly water, which something Data points out is accurate. Yeah. You know, humans fill the water. <laughs> Squishy. Now, now I, I believe they uh, he also says like 97%, which is ridiculously high. <laughs> <laughs> Like maybe in the future, humans are just actually just water balloons with, you know, a few things on the outside to make us look like humans. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the great the great hydro war of 2040. Only the most uh, hydrated persons can survive it. <laughs> that's how that's you know how they keep telling you to drink water now. That's the end goal, to turn us into water balloon people. <laughs> so the microbrain calls them an invader because they are. They have been killing them. They tried to communicate, but they ignored it all. And then eventually they were left with no choice but to fight back. Yeah, we're going to take your laser and shoot you with it. So, meh. Mm-hmm. Uh, Troy's tries to explain that they didn't know the brain was there. Um, but it points out that Mandel did. So now they're at war. Well, could you just be at war with Mandel? He's kind of a dick. And uh, to illustrate its point, the microbrain shakes the ship because it's got complete control of the computer. Maybe we should have safeguards against this sort of thing. Yeah, that that could be helpful. The number of times this just happens. (laughs) So they speculate that the unusual layer of thin salt water connects all of the microbrains and lets them communicate like brain cells. And the terraforming team started to siphon off the water and it began killing them all. So it would have destroyed this entire species. In effect, uh, they were sucking out their brain fluids. They notice that the microbrain has to rest after it replicates itself. So they try to beam it away as soon as it replicates. But this doesn't work. They are now at a complete loss of how to get rid of this thing until Geordi remembers the photosensitive materials and speculates that it must gain power from the sunlight filtering into the sand. Hmm. So... Since they've lost control of the computer, Riker goes down to sickbay and hits the light switch. My, you know, you know, ultimate power to flip a light switch. We could also just have sent down any random crew member that just happens to be in the area, right? Yeah, but then you wouldn't have Riker getting his big moment. You know? Oh, yeah. So no sooner is the room dark than the brain starts to suffer and begs for light. Uh, Picard tells him that they'll give it to him if he agrees to end the war. Forced with destruction the brain agrees uh, Riker begins to bring the lights back slowly as a peace offering uh, the brain asks them never to return and they promise that they won't come back for like three centuries because then they can talk maybe then we'll be ready I don't know how these random alien things are always like someday you might be ready give it 300 years I'm sure your species will have figured shit out by that <laughs> well uh, maybe it's sort of like one of those you know 
come back in one of our millennia, which is 300 of your years, or one galactic minute, which is 700 of your years. Saragar heads back to the lab to see that the brain thing has become a large crystal. And it's kind, kind, of, of, kind of, yeah, it's kind of adorable. He gives the transporter coordinates and they beam it back to the sand part of the watery planet. So uh, go away and uh, we'll never come back here. Bye. The terraformers are all sort of uh, upset that they almost wiped out an entire intelligent species. But, you know, it's all good now. So, uh, you terraformers, what are you going to do now? Oh, go terraform? Yeah. <laughs> go, go, uh, there's uh, like a city alpha sort of place I hear about uh, mm -hmm. doesn't have any life on it. Maybe check that out. So if a card indicates that the planet is under quarantine now, he's dropped a buoy or something. So the planet's going to be left alone. They return the terraformers to a nearby starbase, and we hope we've all learned a lesson about killing off native life forms. Yeah, so don't do it, guys. So uh, that was a decent episode, I suppose. Yeah, I think it wasn't bad. I think it it works out as an episode. They think about some stuff. They do things. It um, resolves itself in an odd way. Yeah, I suppose uh, the uh, the main failing of characters in here is one of the guest stars who is you know just so invested in their work that they you know refuse to see any sort of alternative uh way forward that would have them not do what they love doing uh, so their passion is coming up against the reality so they ignore the reality i do think this is a very interesting place to go with something like this because no one is being no one is being intentionally cruel or trying to kill off the native thing or not even caring about the fact that there's a life form there mm -hmm. this entire episode is about broad institutional failure yeah, like yeah. someone higher up the chain was supposed to check this for me and they failed at their job which means that now i'm doing something horrible by doing my job indeed yeah, i'm so invested in doing my job that i'm not going to question anything about the situation partially from personal investment and also that i have the insurances and that should be good enough right some of the stuff they talk about the thing is suddenly flashing up geom random geometric shapes <laughs> and essentially writing help us in the sand some of the stuff seems a bit far-fetched to imagine someone ignoring but yes. if we <laughs> if we just take it as hyperbole then you can really get into a mindset where yeah, you're supposed to be doing this job. You see some weird things happening, but it's easy to dismiss weird things happening. Weird things happen all the time. Someone else mm -hmm. already told you this is fine. And, uh, you know, it might be a case where, you know, the ge you know, geometric shapes were you kind of had to tilt your head to sort of see it sort of as well. So maybe they're like, hmm, I see it, but maybe it's not really there. I can maybe pretend it's not, even though I'm pretty sure it is. And so you kind of start to lie to yourself in order to get around it and as more you know things get more and more clear you've already kind of invested in that lie so to suddenly go back on it would be you know betraying your previous self and what you've already established as far as your understanding the situation and that's kind of a general human failing yeah you have that with mandel too a lot in this episode of just i if i had ignored this and i am killing something that would meet that would mean I'm doing something horrible. Mm -hmm. So I must not be, because I wouldn't do a horrible thing. Therefore, this is not what everyone is telling me it is. There. Cognitive dissonance and things like that kind of factor into all this, and suddenly you find yourself uh, you know, uh, backing up something that you would never have backed up in a million years, all because you've sort of dug yourself this hole of uh, you know, cogn you know, you know, particular reasoning. And you got a couple of uh, your co-workers kind of helping out being all like eh, we're kind of going along with you but you keep telling us to ignore it so we are so we don't bring up our further objections which doesn't challenge your thinking etc etc and it loops back again sort of building a uh, a, a a narrative of everything's fine don't worry about it and the way that the institution is continually brought up to justify what they're doing I think is kind of interesting because these episodes like home soil devil in the dark which very closely parallels home soil mm -hmm. these are much more 
colonialist episodes than any of their we are going to tackle colonialism episodes are yeah because all of their we're going to look at colonialism episodes um are dealing with stereotypes of native peoples or some sort of thinly veiled stereotypes of native pe- native peoples um you're always showing the crew to be 100 percent in the right they care about life and rights and all of this jazz it's a very America's not an empire, no really go away style of colonial thinking. Well, this is uh, more of a, we don't understand what we're dealing with. And so when we kind of stomp in and do, start doing our thing, you know, to have it suddenly come through that maybe we are in the wrong is kind of a shock. Uh, well, and, you know, <laughs> even if in retrospect, it shouldn't have been. Yeah, you you hit two things. It's one is we weren't doing anything wrong you know and devil in the dark they were mining it's a necessary thing which happens a lot with this kind of stuff like an ignoring of native land rights or these people aren't actually using this land for anything and we want to come in and do something industrial like mining and that supersedes anybody else's right to get to live here because they weren't doing the mining if they wanted this thing they should have been mining and they weren't, so therefore it should be ours now. Yeah. QED. And uh, this, you hit an interesting thing with the terraforming, because that's very similar. You know, this planet is not a useful planet for humans to live on, which makes it of no concern. Like, we want to make this planet useful. So terraforming is kind of an interesting parallel to the industrial exploitation that you have in modern and semi-modern colonialism. Which is like, we are going to go do useful things with this land that is essentially useless now, regardless of what else is going on. Which I think is also, even even if you remove the life form part of this episode, they have here a compl- what is essentially a completely unique planet as far as we're aware. Yeah. It has unique, completely, it has completely unique geology, which a lot of planets would. But this one's weird. It's got completely unique geology. It has standing water and no life forms, which in itself is strange. You know, that might have been some, maybe a bit of a tip off that, you know? Mm hmm. And all these other things that make it odd, but we're still going to essentially destroy it in order to make something that is useful for humans. You know, is the, the natural beauty, the wonders of geology. All of that, you know, maybe we should be factoring some of these into our calculations when we decide to, you know, dig a hole there versus there. Yeah, I've mentioned this before. It's kind of the way that we talk about Mars now. Like, Mars is a completely unique ecosystem. Mm-hmm. There's, we don't even know if there's life there to begin with. But even without that, it's a completely unique place. It does not exist anywhere else in the galaxy, as far as we're aware. It's like its own thing. It has unique geology that does not exist on Earth or any other planet in the solar system. Uh, If you go to Mars and you terraform Mars, you are completely changing that what is already there. And do you have the right to do that? Like, what gives you the right to do that? Why do you get to do that? Because no one else is living there? That's like a bigger start than we usually have. To yeah. be fair, usually we have to deal with you know the the people here complaining about us just showing up and planting a flag. But the other thing that you get in this episode, very specifically, is the institutional reassurance that you're not doing anything wrong, which is how we looked at the exploitation of native peoples for a very very long time. In a lot of ways, we still do because there's a lot of holdover from that, like. Of course you aren't doing anything wrong by going to America, enslaving a bunch of people, and stealing their land. The government that you work for has told you so. So, you know, don't don't have any moral qualms about it. It's a-okay, folks. And even going so far, this is a bit of a stretched metaphor, I will admit. I don't think it's what they intended at all. Go but, for it. I, was, I think I'm gonna, I was going to go to that one anyway, so <laughs> go for it. By saying that this is not a life form, because it's so different from any life form we know, that's very similar to the way that we talk about native and other non-white people in antiquity as subhuman. 
like not quite counting as human or life as we want to define it with rights and and other privileges so that we can just do whatever we want it is so foreign so alien that it can't possibly be like us and you know be able to operate in what we view as our society and we only view that society as the one that is valid yeah even so going so far as to when you get into the really horrible stuff that we had with like race science Mm -hmm. where we were trying to use more modern understandings of evolution and biology to justify why some people are just innately inferior to others and therefore their exploitation doesn't matter and thus you should not feel bad about doing it and yes unfortunately there's still people that push that crap and of course looking at this episode through a colonialist lens which it really lends itself to Again, I don't think this was the intended messaging behind this episode. You hit the same problem that you always do. We hit it with Devil in the Dark. We hit it here. We hit it in all kinds of different places through Star Trek and other sci-fi when you're dealing with native populations, especially something like this. We're like, well, we didn't know there were life forms here. (laughs) They rolled up. They killed, according to the text, thousands of individuals of this species. Yes. And then go whoops are bad yeah uh we'll uh put you back you know all good now right yeah nobody should hold a grudge in fact it would be wrong of this life form to hold a grudge we know that so, it's wrong of them to hold a grudge because it was perfectly okay for picard to torture one of them so so maybe the the life forms there should be asking for something beyond just go away you know you know not just go away don't just put up a quarantine here but maybe i don't know make some repairs to our environment before you go or mm. you know maybe give us some resources to, so we could do the repairs ourselves and you know and so at least some extra token there that maybe would be a start to a longer term relationship even if that relationship doesn't pick up again for a few centuries we the last time we saw you guys you were dicks and we're now willing to talk to you about it uh, you know, sort of uh, vibe I'm getting here is uh, is something, but you know, maybe uh, you know, okay, you guys were dicks, but you at least made a token gesture of you know trying to you know fix your divot here. You know, might be a better way to go forward. Yeah, I mean, you could show them doing literally anything instead of a. But we didn't know. Oh my god, mm-hmm. this is really so hard on us. I guess there there might be some questions about what the the microbrain views as individuals versus the group still, but that's something that the episode doesn't really explore, so yeah. we don't know. <laughs> so the reason that they get away with this is the same reason that you get away with this in the real world, is at the end, the microbrains are understandably upset. They are trying to defend themselves mm-hmm. in a pretty understandable way. We as the audience are supposed to view this as unfair or at the very least incredibly unfortunate and picard demonstrates that they have the power to kill off all of them whenever they want and that's the resolution of the episode they are benevolent colonialists in that they do have the power and technology to kill off every single member of this species whenever they feel like it without them being able to do anything about it but because we're so great we are choosing not to and you need to be very happy about that uh thanks i guess um but you know maybe you could have just talked to us like another you know since you know sapient being here and maybe you could have had a conversation you know as opposed to kind of backhand threatening us (laughs) like the the resolution of this episode is essentially you come to a planet you i don't know why like you land and don't notice that you've just squished 20 people Mm -hmm. the people who live there are very mad about this try to attack you you hold a gun to one of their heads and go this is an unfortunate accident we didn't know we killed a bunch of people and they go okay fine you're right just leave yeah (laughs) uh because then it's like, all right, um, if you if you if we let you leave, you'll put the gun down, right? Oh, sure. I guess I gotta trust you. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, this it, definitely feels unfair for the microbane folks. And it feels unfair because it's this 
the same sort of unexamined colonialist thinking that we get through a lot of Star Trek because we haven't gotten to the place of examining it. Even now, even modern yeah. Star Trek doesn't really do this. Yeah. yeah, it might be interesting to have some of that. Uh, you know, uh, I'm, I'm have some fingers crossed that Prodigy maybe touches upon that because they got some some stuff there with. You know, we met the Federation, and then terrible things happened. Mm. Uh, well, you've got a uh, you've got a particular um, inherent tension because this type of science fiction, the Star Trek type of science fiction, its core being is an age of exploration show mm -hmm. you have just swapped out english tall ships for spaceships that's all you've done like you've swapped out ships like boats for, sh for spaceships you've swapped out planets for islands it's fundamentally an age of exploration show the age of exploration has to ignore colonialism in order to function because otherwise, everything you're doing is terrible. It's not fun and exciting. Like, oh, yes, uh, we're setting up a colony on this island here. Uh, there's people here already. We're going to ignore them. And then later, it's going to turn to the pirate haven. And, well, they're going to be, uh, you know, uh, you know, unhappy with locals as well, but in a different way. And then uh, we'll have a, a, a fleet come in and uh, rid all the pirates. And they'll be even more worse to the locals. Hmm. Well... Um, if we we could just kind of ignore all of that, then uh, then maybe we could have a, a, a age exploration story about this that doesn't make us feel bad all the time. Yeah, yeah. and when when you had the '60s and into the '80s and '90s, like this is not a time you were thinking about this sort of thing. You weren't mm -hmm. supposed to think about colonialism at the time. Into the '90s, we started getting more and more, which they tried to move away from some of those plots, but then they still have that at the core of the show, which is why some of the things got so muddled and weird when they started trying to tackle more serious concepts. Yes. And now we've just decided to ignore it. Like, you know, Discovery has gone off on its weird war plots. Um, Brave New World's gone back to... Or Strange New World's gone back to old star trek things which is entertaining but they're bringing back some of the same problems and uh no one knows what prodigy is doing and lower decks is just making fun of next generation they're not trying to say anything <laughs> i i did enjoy the uh the recent episode where uh it's like the vcr game they're playing at the beginning there <laughs> i had that game i had the star Excellent. trek vcr game where the klingons take over the ship and they just they like yell at you while you're sneaking through the ship on the board <laughs> excellent i would like to play that someday <laughs> i wonder if you can find a youtube like i'm sure you could print it out i wonder if you could find a youtube version this could be worth live streaming yeah get all the get some get some of the some of the star trek geeks together we're going to experience some bees here uh hold on <laughs> uh the only other thing that most people bring up is that this is a continuity thing which they don't worry about. I don't care that Star Trek in this era doesn't care about continuity, but it is just funny with how much we care about continuity now that they've encountered car they've encountered silicon-based life forms at least four times by now. Yeah. Uh, in fact, you know, we have data who's basically saying, you know, we've not met something that's, you know, non-organic life form. Uh <laughs> Mm -hmm. data <laughs> and this is the thing the the freaking the freaking horda there the, mm -hmm. the devil in the dark it's not a and then it slunk off into the darkness never to be seen again they formed a working relationship with the federation yep <laughs> it's like oh you want all this rock that we don't need uh, okay <laughs> and we'll just keep eating and uh, just pick up what we leave behind all right yeah so I mean, it, it wasn't one of these, and, and we kept it a secret from everyone. No, it's, they're, they're, they work for you now. They're, they're mining for you. For all we know, in this era, they've moved them to other planets. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I've uh, heard some fan talk about, you know, maybe they have Horda, uh, you know, spaceships at this point, you know, Federation, uh, uh, you know, starships that are basically built exactly the same but they just fill the entire interior with uh, rock of various sorts yeah that'd be fun it's like the rock ships from uh from ftl yeah i'm just i'm honestly surprised that we haven't seen one pop up in lower decks yet yeah well uh, hold off i hope here that i mean they they had a uh, giant spock you know yeah uh, i'm afraid i don't got much more myself here so uh so we uh shall we move on yeah i mean we have done 
we've done terraforming in the past we've done silicon life forms in the past we've done colonialism in the past and we're going to do colonialism again i'm sorry we're very political that way surprise if you missed some of that leading into this point um i i don't know what to say honestly yeah why are you here <laughs> i'm sorry but like what what how did you even find this we don't have that many people we're not that popular if we if we do become that popular and then people uh, you know start listening are like these guys are all political yeah it's allowed okay yep we've done enough political stuff for now so it's time <laughs> for the galaxy's favorite game show Hey everybody, welcome to the Galaxy's Favorite Game Show, where we got ourselves a uh, few glowing lights of the audience today, this is pretty cool, um, but our contestants have been racking up some uh, some points here, so it's about time to hand out some prizes. Our first uh, award, our prize, our super thing, is actually one we had to hand out last time, I believe, Gunshots by Computer, which goes to the microbrain via the reprogramming of the laser drill to, you know kill all humans and things like that what is it uh the microbrain win gepwin they win a scope these things never work right and i don't know how they're aiming this one's implied that it's being aimed by the brain thing itself which like probably doesn't have eyes it needs something yeah it's i guess maybe it's a uh, relying on movement or some sort of electro sensor somewhere uh, maybe smell maybe data has some s smell but not as strong as a, like a human Hmm. Anyway, our second prize is the Lazy Science Prize, which goes to the terraforming team for not investigating the curious geometric patterns that were somehow just appearing on the sand, among other things. What do they win, Gepwin? They win a golden record to listen to with all of the stuff that we send out to identify ourselves as life forms to other things, because it tends to include geometric shapes and mathematical patterns. Indeed. So, uh, you know... Maybe you could look at this golden record while you're listening to it and then look out the window and back the gold record and look out the window again and go, hmm, maybe there's something trying to communicate to us. And then you get confused because suddenly it's all, all the hellos of the various languages and you're like, but the universal translator just has it all be hello and greetings <laughs> from Earth and things like that. Anyway, our last prize is the Ob Oblivious Coworker Prize, which goes to Louisa Kim for not... Noticing that our co-workers have gotten super shifty of late and are all like, you know, kind of glancing at each other. And while you're just kind of being all like terraforming school, you know, and stuff. So so what does she win, Gepwin? She wins a trip to terraforming HR. I, I know people who have worked in these isolated research lab scenarios. It's never good. Mm -hmm. And your co-workers are never good people. You might want to, you know, get somewhere, uh, you know, less weird people hanging out here. But uh, at least this project's probably getting shut down for the long haul. So, you know, you don't have to deal with them until, you know, you get assigned to the next project with them. Hmm. But that sucks. Anyway, uh, Gepwin, take us away. Yeah, make some better terraforming friends. Yes. Oh, thank you to the contestants for putting up with all of this. And thanks to all of you for listening to the Galaxy's Favorite Game Show. Whee! Are we going to, like, clone our brains now so we can be smarter? Yes, but we have to network them somehow. Ah, oh, yes. Also, there's whatever that fun thing is where our brains do the opposite thing they're supposed to most of the time, which is more energy intensive, but somehow faster. I don't understand it personally. Do you have a spare Ethernet cable? Somewhere. I, I never <laughs> throw cables away I'm in a bad habit. You never know when you need a cable. You never exactly. know when you need a six-year-old cable with a weird pin adapter. And this is the one with the seven pins. Uh, which one's the ground, though? If it's if it's the ground is the is the long one, it's not the right cable. So, all right. This, uh, by our episode counting, was episode 139. Which hmm. not only means we've been doing this for way too dang long, but uh, for our own sanity, if you're new around here, we every few episodes we stop going through 
the main line show that we're doing and we take a break to do a movie or something else and this time it was Izix's pick so he's decided mm-hmm. to torture us with something truly old yes yeah, something a little different too uh that's i guess effectively a movie because it's you know about that sort of length and uh you know, sure, the production values are a little on the cheap end, and then they, uh, you know, you know, the you know, put out in a serialized format, and then they went and lost all the episodes entirely, so it doesn't exist anymore, which makes our job a little harder. But thankfully, in uh, more recent in the enlightened times, uh, they decided, you know, we have the the audio for this, so we're gonna do some animations and things like that, and basically recreate the original episodes. And, uh, you know, have it be still kind of, you know, a little awkward because, you know, it's from the 60s. But, you know, it's still kind of the same thing. And and long story short, uh, we're going to be doing some uh, little Doctor Who. Dun, dun, yep. Dun. Very British. <laughs> very old. <laughs> yes. Uh, you know, so not new Who. Not like 80s Doctor Who. Not 70s Doctor Who. But like 60s Doctor Who. So, uh, Gepwin, are you uh, ready to uh, have some... Uh, a big, uh, I guess, salt and pepper shakers threaten you and things like that? Yeah, the the last time I tried to watch old Doctor Who, me and the person who I was watching it with fell out of the bed in college because we just started laughing too hard at the green bubble wrap creature. Oh, uh, was this a Tom Baker episode? Yes. Yes. Uh, the, the Ark in Space? Probably. <laughs> but yes, uh, so uh, in the, uh, the ancient times of... Uh, uh, the 60s, I believe. Uh, I'm trying to get get the uh, thing because I keep my, my information set, keeps telling us when they lost the episode, but when was it actually made originally? <laughs> <laughs> so sometime before 1974. Well, you're gonna uh, have more research to do on that one. So, yes, yeah. <laughs> but uh, you know, but uh, the it's a uh, the second Doctor ep- uh, adventure uh, with Patrick Troughton, the second Doctor. Uh, this is actually his first adventure. Uh, so he's basically starts out like just freshly re- regenerated and it's like, well, I'm going to go wander around now. Um, you, my companions, you can kind of hang out with me if you like. That's, it's adventure time, guys. <laughs> and uh, and so he gets himself into a, a little, uh, little trouble. There's some mistaken identity as he calls himself the examiner and things like that. And... Um, there's a, a, a scientist guide. He's like, hmm, I found these weird things here. I think they might be great tools. But there's also, like, nonsense going on in this colony. And guess what the planet's called? Is it, oh, uh, yeah, Darlekistan? No, I'm trying to remember what it is. Scaro, <laughs> that was it. Uh, not quite. I, I believe. <laughs> now, I haven't rewatched this in a while, but I believe the planet's actually called Vulcan. <laughs> So yeah, uh, the power of the Daleks, uh, Doctor Who. Doctor Who, Star Trek crossover. <laughs> yes, <laughs> uh, an interesting uh, bit of trivia: the uh, final adventure with Patrick Trout, the second uh, Doctor, was uh, taking. You know, it was uh, you know airing when Star Trek, uh, the original series, uh, uh, came to an end. Uh, oh. So the, uh, the 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 epic length uh, adventure the war games was like halfway over uh when uh you know turnabout intruder uh, came on tv so that's a little bit interesting. Oh, that's interesting yeah it's a very contemporary i wish i had that information in front of me as far as the exact timings and everything but anyway you know doctor who the power of the daleks it's uh, very animated but also not at times yeah if anybody wants <laughs> to try to watch this before we do the thing um, the only place that either of us has found it easily available is through the Amazon digital video store. Uh, there is a full season. Like you can buy the entire thing um, with animated sections for about 10 bucks. You can't rent it. Yes. Sorry about that. But uh, it is kind of awesome all the same. And there's uh, a number of things that I have already kind of queued up my brain to talk about when it is so. So what was I keep forgetting the name of this thing? Something of the dialects. Danger. Power. Power. There we go. Yes. So generic. Well, there's actually an in adventure uh, reason for that name, but we'll get to that when we do. Yeah. So power of the dialects. You can find it on Amazon or possibly track it down somewhere. Maybe read a synopsis if you are interested. Otherwise, mm-hmm. we'll be talking about it next time. 
Next time on Watchers of Tomorrow, all power to the Daleks. You have been listening to Watchers of Tomorrow, a podcast on science fiction media. Find and follow Watchers of Tomorrow on Podbean, YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, Spreader, Digital Podcast, and perhaps many more to come. If you enjoy our podcast, make sure to subscribe for more. And where possible, make sure to rate your experience or leave us a review. You may find Gepwin on youtube.com slash Gepwin and Twitter at Gepwin. You may find me, Dr. Isix, on youtube.com slash Dr. Isix and Twitter at IsixLP. Music is Waveform and Maury's Principle, both by DRKRN. You can also check out the Watchers of Tomorrow Discord channel. Make sure to share the experience with your friends, family, enemies, and alien overlords. If you feel you are suffering from transporter syndrome, please be aware that the next time you step off the transporter, that you, that is now, no longer exists.